Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this time that we can come and sit under your word. Lord, we do pray that we may be strengthened. Lord, we pray that you may be with me. We pray that by your Holy Spirit I may speak words that are helpful to the people who are gathered this morning. And Lord, we pray for any that are here this morning who do not trust in Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we pray that you may make the words plain to them. And Lord, we pray that they may turn to Christ, love him dearly, and know him for the rest of their lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it may not be on your radar yet, but it is definitely on mine. Christmas is coming. It's only three months away now, and so I'm quite excited about that fact. In my first year here, I started singing, I started putting Christmas carols on the church orders of service in October. I was discouraged from doing that in future years, and so I haven't done it since. So November is when you can start expecting to hear Christmas carols here. Uh, but I am very much aware that Christmas is coming because I've already started to put away presents for myself to be given by Jill to me. And so this week I put away a book uh, that I purchased. My, uh, my book allowance for the year has almost run dry. The church is very generous in giving me a book allowance, but I tend to use it up fairly rapidly. I get very excited at the beginning of the year and then have to start slowing down. But I put one book away and I'm excited about that and last night I was starting to look online for other purchases to be made and so I'm waiting for uh, some book sales to start making those and I know what I'm going to get and I'm going to start putting them away so Jill can give them to me. When it comes to presents from others, do you like to know what you're going to get? I certainly do. I like to know what I'm going to receive. I don't like surprises. I find that if it's a surprise, then it's often a surprise that's not particularly uh, surprising in terms of it's not something that I take joy in. I know that if I choose the present, I will get something that I like. Do you have that attitude towards gifts? Do you like to know what you're going to get? Well, this morning, we're going to be focusing on the gift of God and knowing what that gift is. And we've come to that in John chapter 4, verse 10. John chapter 4 is about Jesus coming to a well in an area called Samaria and meeting a woman who is a Samaritan from that region who's come to that well that day as well while he's there. So he's walked this journey, he is there, he is tired, he sits down and this woman approaches the well to draw water. And we've slowly been working through this passage and we've come to verse 10 where Jesus is now speaking to the woman as she has given him an answer to his simple request for a drink. We saw that in verse 7. We saw, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And then she responded in verse 9 by saying to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And so at that time when I last uh, preached on this passage, I looked at the fact that she uh, thought it was unusual that he was a Jew talking to a Samaritan when there's a clear racial divide between the two groups and also He's a man and she is a woman and they shouldn't be speaking to one another either. And I also looked at the fact that Jesus um, is willing to talk to her even though she has lived quite a sinful life, which we'll look at in subsequent weeks when we work through the passage in greater detail. But now Jesus responds to her and he speaks about the gift of God. And so I encourage you, if you've got a black church Bible there, to open up to page 1052 as we look at verse 10 together. And that brings me to my first main point this morning. My first main point is you should know the gift of God. 
Jesus expects us to know the gift of God. If you want to follow my main points, they're listed there on the back of the church bulletin. You can see I've got three main points this morning. And my first is, you should know the gift of God. And he says that in verse 10. Verse 10 reads, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He says to this woman, you should know what the gift of God is. Now, we should also, if we follow the teachings of Jesus, we should know what the gift of God is as well. If Jesus was to meet us today and he was to say, you should know the gift of God, then if you knew the gift of God, then we should be ready with a response to say, yes, I know what the gift of God is. What is the gift that God has for us? Well, the word gift that is used here and in reference to God in verse 10 is only used a small number of times in the Bible, in the New Testament. And it occurs a few times in the writings of Paul and he references the gift of God in those passages. So for example, in Romans chapter five, verse 17, Paul speaks about the gift of God being a gift of righteousness. Romans chapter five, verse 17, it says, for if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? God has righteousness as a gift to give us. We are unrighteous people. God, by his work of his son and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that then is put over to us. And that's what Paul is speaking about in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. But Paul also uses the word gift that's used here in John chapter 4, verse 10. He uses it to describe God's grace. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. So God's grace can be described as a gift. So Paul has it as righteousness and grace. But what is the meaning here in John chapter 4, verse 10? What is God's gift that is here mentioned to this Samaritan woman? Well, the verse tells us that it has to be living water. It tells us that in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So what is it that Jesus has? What is this gift of God that you can receive? Living water. Now, what is living water? Well, living water is not a term that's uh, just taken by Jesus. It's a common term. Living water is water that is moving. So it is used to describe water that is in streams, in rivers, uh, as opposed to water that is still, such as in lakes and wells and cisterns. And so when Jesus says the word living water here, there's a common usage of that phrase in reference to living water. And it's said to be alive because it's moving. And it's also said to be living in the sense that it's purer as well. Um, we see that that phrase is actually used in the, to translate the Hebrew text in Leviticus chapter 14, verse 6, when it's talking about a sacrifice to be made. And it says that the bird has to be killed over living water, over fresh water, because it's purer. And you, you would recognize that. Water that's in a lake or in... Uh, a cistern of some sort, is not going to be as pure as water that's flowing swiftly in a stream. We recognise that the water is pure if it's, living, if it's living. So what is it that Jesus has? What's the gift of God? Well, it's living water. Does that mean that Jesus is going to give you a river if you ask him? 
He will give you a river. He'll give you a stream. He'll give you water that's moving. Well, that's the interpretation that the woman makes of Jesus' words, doesn't she? Read verse 11. It says, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herd and herds? She's saying, where's this water that you're going to get? She focuses in on the idea of a physical stream of some sort, some sort of living water that would be there, and, God, and Jesus, or God, God with his gift, he's going to give this living water to her. But Jesus isn't speaking about physical water. He's speaking metaphorically. He's using living water as a symbol. And we see that in verse 13. He makes that clear. Verse 13, Jesus answers, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Does that sound like any river that you know of? Any type of stream that you could drink of where it's going to give you eternal life and you will never thirst again? Even when we drink of living water, we still thirst. And the water doesn't spring up in us. It doesn't produce water from us then and give us eternal life. So Jesus must be speaking about something different. He's using living water as an analogy, as a symbol for what he has to give. So what is the gift of God that this woman should know about and that you should know about this morning? Well, I believe it's the Holy Spirit for a number of reasons that are given in this text and then throughout other parts of the Bible. And the primary reason is because Jesus speaks in a very similar way in John chapter 7. Flip with me to John chapter 7, verse 37. So a few pages over in your Bibles, page 1058, 1058 of your Black Church Bibles. John chapter 7, verse 37, verse 37, where we read, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Sounds very similar, doesn't it? What's he mean? Verse 39 then tells us, By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. This text gives us a commentary on the previous text. Jesus is using the same analogy again later in his teaching. He's like... Lots of preachers, including myself, you recycle your material. Um, you don't have to invent fresh material every time you speak. You can recycle, and he's recycling his idea that he says to this woman at the well. He's using it in a larger context later on. And there we get this explanation from the author of um, John's Gospel, from John himself, that it's the spirit that he is meaning later on. And so then I would say we can take that, yes, he's meaning the spirit back here in John 4 when he speaks to this Samaritan woman. But that's not the only reason why I would say that, uh, that the living water is representing the spirit. In John chapter 3, uh, verse 5, where Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, when he's speaking to Nicodemus, so this is immediately before he's uh, speaking to the Samaritan woman, he speaks to Nicodemus. So we've got these two people, one's a religious leader, one's a Samaritan woman, and he says to them very similar things, really, when you consider it. John uh, chapter 3, verse 5 Jesus answered Nicodemus when he has a question about being born again. He says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water. Unless he is born of water and the spirit. 
Water and spirit there again, hand in hand with one another. Water representing the spirit. And such an understanding actually fits with the rest of the word, uh, usage of the word gift, particularly in the book of Acts. It occurs a number of times, and I've said in Paul's letters, it occurs to represent, the word gift represents uh, righteousness and grace. In Acts, it's used four times. And in all four occurrences of the word gift of God in Acts, it's said to be speaking of the Holy Spirit. So, for example, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied to the crowd, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 8, verse 20, when he responds to Simon, who wants the Holy Spirit, uh, tries to buy the Holy Spirit from Peter, Peter answers Simon, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. What's he talking about, the gift of God? Well, he's just tried to pay to have the Holy Spirit given to him. Simon's tried to buy the Holy Spirit. And Peter calls it the gift of God, that the Holy Spirit is the gift of God. Also, in Acts chapter 10, verse 45, um, it speaks about, um, Acts 10 is about Peter witnessing to Cornelius, to some Gentiles. And it says that the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished at the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. The gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. And then speaking to the Jews in Jerusalem when he goes back from meeting with Cornelius, in Acts 11 we read, uh, in Acts 11 verse 17 we read, so if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, referring again to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the gift of God clearly in the book of Acts. And so here in John chapter 4, I think we could make the conclusion that when Jesus says the gift of God is living water, then it has to be the Holy Spirit. Because that also doesn't just fit with the New Testament's teaching about the gift of God and the Spirit. It fits with Old Testament teachings as well about the Holy Spirit. That passage that we just had read for us from Ezekiel chapter 36 talks about God sprinkling us with clean water. In Ezekiel 36, 25, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. God's using this analogy of washing there in Ezekiel chapter 36. And then he says in verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart, from you, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Water, spirit, hand in hand, there in the Old Testament. We're sprinkled clean and given a new spirit by God. And also, we've got to remember that the spirit of God is God himself. We understand that God is three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's interesting in the Old Testament that God is described in Jeremiah as a spring of water. In Jeremiah 2 verse 13, it says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. The spring of living water. Jeremiah 2 verse 13. And have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. The people have chosen to have cisterns, still water, over having God, the living water. God represents living water in the Old Testament. 
God the Holy Spirit then can represent living water in the New Testament. And that's not the only occurrence. It happens in Jeremiah 7, 17, 13 as well, that the Lord is described as a spring of living water. And in Psalm 36, verse 9, the psalm that we opened the service with this morning, we read, for with you is the fountain of life. For with God is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. It's a common theme throughout the Bible. Living water is associated with God. And who is God? The Holy Spirit is God. And so it's quite easy to see then that when Jesus speaks of living water in the New Testament, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. Particularly when we consider the function of the Holy Spirit as well. What does the Holy Spirit do? He gives us eternal life. He gives us life. And then it becomes quite fitting to describe the Holy Spirit as living water. Water that's alive. The Holy Spirit is alive. He is eternal being, so he has life in himself. And then he gives life. He gives life to us. He regenerates us and changes us so that we can live eternally and gives us strength today to be able to live in this hostile world to us at times. He gives us that life that we need. And so I think it's quite clear then when we consider the teachings of the New Testament, the teachings of the Old Testament, and the function of the Holy Spirit that he has to be what Jesus is describing here. When he says to this woman, you should know the gift of God. The living water that God gives, it has to be the Holy Spirit. But is that all the woman needs to know, according to John chapter 4, verse 10? No, she needs to know something else. What does Jesus also tell her that she should know? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. You should know who Jesus is. You should know who Jesus is. And that's in verse 10 as well. Verse 10 says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She's meant to know the gift of God, but she's also meant to know who it is that asks her for a drink. She's meant to know who Jesus is. So who is Jesus? Well, she'd know that he's a bit of a character to begin with. The fact that he's a Jew talking to her and the fact that he's a Jewish man and Maybe she can even tell that he's a rabbi by the way that he's dressed, that he's some sort of religious teacher, and he's talking to her, a woman, and potentially a, a quite sinful woman. She knows that he's a bit different from the average Jew that she comes into contact with. But what else should she know about Jesus? What else does the Apostle John teach us about who Jesus is? Well, if you'd been reading John's Gospel consecutively up to this point, you'd actually know quite a lot about Jesus you'd know quite a lot about who Jesus is, particularly John chapter 1. If you want to know who Jesus is, do a careful study of John chapter 1. Flip with me there and I'll just quickly race you through some of the verses that speak about who Jesus is. John chapter 1. In verse 1, we firstly see that he's the Word and that he's always existed. He was in the beginning and he is God himself. In verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, referring to Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God, and he was with God in the beginning. Before the world was made, Jesus was there with God, and then he created the world. And that's what it then tells us in verse 3. Verse 3, Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Who is Jesus? He's the creator of the world. What else is 
taught to us about Jesus in John chapter 1? Well, verse 4 tells us that he is life. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. He is light, and he is life. Verse 5 then continues that theme with light. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And then down to verse 9, where it talks again about him being light. The true light, referring to Jesus, that gives light to every man, was coming into the world. So Jesus is God, he's light, he's the creator, he's also the one who has become flesh. He's not some abstract person who is uh, a spirit who has never uh, experienced what we've experienced. No, verse 14 tells us that the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. He is the God-man. And then we also see that he has great glory. We have seen his glory, it says in verse 14, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is one who has great glory and is full of grace and truth. That's who Jesus is. Who else is Jesus? Well, he's the one who gives us great blessing. Verse 16, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. He's the one who blesses us. And he's the one who also makes the Father known, verse 18 tells us. No one has ever seen God. Have you seen God? No. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus is the one who reveals to us who God is, who God the Father is. And then we have the testimony of John the Baptist. Further on in John 1, John 1 verse 29, what does John have to say about who Jesus is? John the Baptist says in verse 29, look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who is Jesus? He's the Lamb of God. And what does the Lamb of God do? He takes away the sin of the world. And then in verse 45, we have the testimony of someone else. We have Philip. Verse 45 of John chapter 1 about who Jesus is. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Who is Jesus? The one who the prophets wrote about, who testified to. And then we have this amazing statement about who Jesus is. After all those ones that have come in John chapter 1, what does John chapter 1 verse 49 have to say about Jesus in the words of Nathanael? Nathanael says, Rabbi, which means great one, my great one, my great teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Who is Jesus? John 1 is so clear in telling us that Jesus is like no other. He is the Son of God. He is the King of Israel. And Jesus wants you to know who he is. He wanted this woman at the well to know who he was. He tells her, you should know who I am. Who I am. Now why should she know who he is? Why is it important to know that Jesus is the Son of God? That he is God himself? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. You should ask Jesus for the gift of God. You should ask Jesus for the gift of God. You should know what the gift of God is, the Holy Spirit who gives eternal life, and you should know who Jesus is because Jesus is the one who gives us the gift of God. It's kind of like he's the intermediary between the Father and us. He's the one who passes the present on, kind of like with my own Christmas presents. 
will really come through an intermediary from Jill. I say that I'm putting my presents away for Jill to give to me, but she's not going to be the one that on Christmas Day gives me my presents. It's going to be Josh and Philippa. There's going to be no presents from my wife to me directly. She's going to give them to them and they will then give them to me. There'll be these intermediaries between Jill and myself and they'll have great joy in doing it even though they they call all books that daddy receives Bibles. They say, oh, another Bible, and another Bible, and another Bible. They think my whole library is just full of Bibles. I'm trying to explain to them that I actually have books that aren't Bibles, um, that I do have many Bibles, but not all my books are Bibles. There'll be these intermediaries who give me my presence from Jill. And that's what Jesus does. We need to know who Jesus is because then we will ask him for the Holy Spirit, for the gift of God, because he is the one who gives it. Jesus is the one who it says in verse 35, just a couple verses earlier of John chapter 3, verse 35, John chapter 3, that the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. The Father has given all things into the hands of the Son. And that includes the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself teaches that he is the one who gets the Holy Spirit for us from the Father. John chapter 14, verse 16, reads, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, who we understand to be the Holy Spirit, to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And then in verse 26 of that same chapter, John chapter 14, it says, But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. The Father sends the Holy Spirit, but it's done in the name of Jesus, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. And then John chapter 15, the next chapter over, verse 26, it says, When the counselor, referring to the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Yes, the Spirit comes from the Father, absolutely. But he comes because Jesus sends him from the Father. And then in John chapter 16, verse 7, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. I will send him to you. Now, this is actually quite a controversial teaching. You may not be aware of the fact that there's quite a controversy to know whether the Father sends the Spirit to us or whether the Father and the Son send the Spirit to us. This is actually what broke Eastern Western churches. Um, the Eastern Orthodox actually hold to the teaching that the Spirit comes from the Father and not through the Son. Whereas the Western church, which is uh, dominated by the Roman Catholic Church at the time, the Western church that he comes from, he proceeds, the Holy Spirit proceeds from both Father and Son. Now, that's the official stance that divides them. A lot of it was political. Um, fancy that, churches being political. Um, but apparently, that was the case at the time, and that was the issue that they chose to divide over, was how does the Holy Spirit come? And I believe the Bible is quite clear that the Western church was right in this regard that the Eastern Church, if they hold to that teaching, they have to deny some of the clear teachings of Scripture that the Son does send the Holy Spirit. And that then means you have to know who the Son is. If you want the Holy Spirit, you need to know the Son, otherwise you're not going to get the gift. Just like I need to know my kids, if Jill gives the 
presents to the kids and the kids then give them to me, I have to know who the kids are and if I want my books in the end, I have to be able to sort of prompt them, I, I want those. They're not actually your presents when they open them, they're not all your Bibles. Um, they often do help unwrap uh, my presents for me and, uh, and they seem to be more inclined to think that they're their presents but I have to kind of lead them, yes, yes, I'm the one who's receiving this. And we need to come to the Son and ask him to give us the Holy Spirit. And you may say, oh, but how, what can I offer the Son to give me, a whole, give me the Holy Spirit? I have nothing to offer. I'm a sinful person. I've rebelled against God for many years. How can I come and expect God to give me eternal life by the Holy Spirit? Well, that's where you have to remember that it's the gift of God. It's a gift. It's not payment for services rendered. No, it's the gift of God as he describes it there. A gift is a gift. If you have to pay for it, it's no longer a gift. And that is what the Holy Spirit is. He's a gift. And all you have to do is ask. That's what Jesus says in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you had asked, he would have given you living water. That's all you need to do. If you genuinely come to Jesus and ask him for eternal life, ask him for living water, ask him for the Holy Spirit, he will give the Holy Spirit to you as a gift. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is believe that Jesus is the one the scriptures teach he is and believe that he died for you and that the Holy Spirit comes to you through him. So do you want the gift of God? Do you want the Holy Spirit? Do you want to be cleansed? As it says in the Old Testament, from your idols, from your sins, be sprinkled with water and have a new heart devoted to the Lord? then ask Jesus today. Ask him for the Holy Spirit. Come before him in prayer and say, give me your Holy Spirit. And if you genuinely do that, he will give. He always honours those who come to him in repentance and faith, asking for eternal life. And if you are a Christian, do you ask for more of the Holy Spirit's power? to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with that living water that will sustain you and invigorate you for the tasks that you need to do, that the Holy Spirit will bear the fruit that the Scriptures claim he has in your life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all those things you need to have that living water to be able to exercise. Do you want to exercise those things in your life? To love those around you? To have joy? To have peace? To have patience? Then come to Jesus. Know who Jesus is and ask him. And he will give you what you have asked for. Let us come before our God in prayer now. Let us speak with him. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that Jesus speaks to us and tells us to know the gift of God to know about the Holy Spirit and what he does. Lord, we thank you that he also tells us to know who he is 
And we thank you that your word does indeed tell us who Jesus is, that he is the son of God. He is the king of Israel. He is the word become flesh. He is God himself. And Lord, he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Lord, we come before you this morning and beg for your Holy Spirit. May you send your Holy Spirit into the hearts of everyone gathered here this morning and give us hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone. And Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, we may have great fruit in our life. Lord, may that living water flow in us and yield much for your kingdom. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.